Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, March 18th, 2022. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine, inviting everyone in around or who wants to take a quick jaunt or even a long jaunt to South Florida to join us on April 6th uh, in Palm Beach for a live taping of the Commentary Magazine Podcast. Me, Abe, Christine, Noah, uh, Dan Senor, and other special guests, perhaps, uh, you can join us just to hear the podcast. You can join us and have a meet and greet, or you can join us for a VIP dinner. These are three levels of participation. You can read all about it and sign up at commentary.org slash live podcast, April 6th, Palm Beach, Florida, mid-afternoon. What a time. What a joy. What a pleasure. What a thrill. We'll be thrilled to meet you. You'll be thrilled to meet us. Let's face it. And we will all have a great time. And among those having a great time will be exec editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Um, so uh, back in October of 2020, uh, my erstwhile paper, uh, for which I worked on and off uh, now as a freelancer for the last uh, 14 years, but, uh, but as a staffer for the previous 13 years, um, the, the New York Post uh, broke the story uh, of the mysterious uh, laptop left at a uh, Wilmington, Delaware uh, computer repair shop owned by Hunter Biden that featured incriminating emails about Hunter Biden, uh, Joe Biden's brother, uh, Robert, and uh, the business that they had started together and efforts to uh, uh, rouse, uh, you know, stir up business uh, uh, for um, for Hunter Biden's consulting business uh, with promises of access to the then vice president of the United States, Joe Biden. And uh, <clears throat> astonishing efforts were made at the time to suppress openly, openly and without apology to suppress the story on the grounds that uh, several former intelligence officials said that the laptop could have been created by Russia as a disinformation tool to deny Joe Biden the presidency, if you, uh, the Twitter deplatformed the New York Post for publishing tweets promoting the articles, uh, art, tweets that mentioned the Hunter La uh, Biden laptop thing were, uh, were killed and people suspended for using them. Same thing was going on on Facebook, where this warning, you may be reading something untrue, was attached to Facebook posts. And of course, it was true. Uh, we can now see from the Russian, the brilliant Russian conduct of the war in Ukraine that our, 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 fa our fantasy imaginings about the unbelievable competence of the Russians being so good at what they do that they could fabricate a laptop and create three years of internet history with fake emails and fake email addresses that actually conform to real standards that are traceable and trackable and all of this. This is all part of this delusion that began in 2016 that the Russians had somehow seized control of the American brain using social media and Cambridge Analytica and, and hypnotherapy and, and, and pelfing and rolfing and all kinds of things to control America into voting for uh, for Donald Trump uh, on Vladimir Putin's uh, say so, this delusion about Russian omnipotence and omniscience in the purveyance of computer use and sowing discord and all of that um, really met reached its apogee with this idea that they had fabricated a laptop, dropped it off in Wilmington, Delaware with a computer store owner who had handed it to Rudy Giuliani, who had then re retailed it to the New York Post, and then the story came out. And the New York Times yesterday finally acknowledged on behalf of the entire mainstream media that this was garbage and that the laptop was real and that the emails were real and that Hunter Biden is a sleaze who is under federal investigation for improperly uh, using uh, you know, Im improper lobbying uh, techniques and standards and other other stuff. Uh, what do you guys make of it? Christine, as our media columnist. 
Well, it's uh, first of all, it's not a surprise, but it, it deepens the cynicism of everyone who has mistrust of the mainstream media, um, in part because no one's acknowledging they got it wrong. It's just, well, now we're going to report that it was all right. I and mean, let's just move on. We have more. Important. There's a war in Ukraine after all. And I think it's that attitude. The we we consistently lied to you. We used not, and it wasn't just the 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 big tech platform suppressing us. It was mainstream journalists on you know Wolf Blitzer, all these other guys on TV, just constantly denouncing this. Um, it was politicians saying, "Look at this terrible Russian disinformation. This is horrible. Look at this is right out of the right wing playbook." It was a concerted effort by the cultural and and political left to suppress information that is now been uh, definitively shown to be true. And it was done, it, it, those were the means, but the end was to get a Democrat elected to the presidency. That's shocking. I mean, we should be shocked. We should be angry. And Americans are absolutely right to be completely cynical about what they're hearing from the media. They always are. Now, I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean that what they're going to get from alternative sources is always going to be great either. But this idea that they cannot, the mainstream media in particular, and big tech platforms, some of whom made the decision, were, were former Democratic operatives who now work for places like Facebook and Twitter, the fact that they can't acknowledge what they used their power to do was wrong and say, you know what, our bad, we're going to do better next time. That is concerning to me because they need to acknowledge their mistake. So um, there's this question that... Uh, people ask, well, if if the media had not treated the, the laptop story the way it did, would that have had a different effect on the election outcome? Would, would it have sunk Biden if they treated it as a real story? I don't know the answer to that. But there's more to it than that, because it's not just treating it as a real story. The question is, if they had not only treated it as a real story, but treated it with the type of alarm that they would treat similar stories on the other side, not even doesn't even have to be Trump. If there was a, a, a any Republican whose son had had a laptop with 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 those emails in it. Might that have had an effect on the election? I don't know. Could be. And there's the other piece of this here is that Biden lied about it. Joe Biden, uh, to my recollection, I don't think there was ever a denial about the emails being real exactly. Um, but there was, in addition to not denying it, Biden would say, well, it's a garbage report. It's junk. It's, 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 he did Russian deny a meeting from. at, at Cafe Milano that actually proved to have happened. He did sort of lie about having met with his son and some of these operatives at, at, in my neighborhood, <laughs> uh, the, this yeah. hot spot where all these kind of crazy deals go down. He, he was there and then he denied that he'd been there and it's proven that he's been there. So, so if he had to have, if, 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 if the media treated it as a real story and he had to face real questions about it and couldn't simply say, oh, it's, it's just, it's just that that's garbage. And, and and have everyone move on. I, don't, I have no idea what effect that would. Yeah, because I, the I, real I, story is the allegation that he was that he was trading influence with his presidential candidate father to the Chinese. Well, that there were two. Right, there were two accusations. Right, one one was relating to the Chinese and this weird guy. What was his name? Tony. I'm sorry, I shouldn't even have started this without remembering what the guy's name. Uh, um, his sort of intermediary, the guy who sort of turned turned on him, uh, both in both in terms of questions about Ukraine and about China, um, uh, because he felt like he had been screwed out of money or screwed out of uh, screwed out of this consultancy or something like that. I I I would take it a, I would take it in a slightly different direction. I I do not believe that ha and and this is where things get. I do not believe that the full airing of the Hunter Biden laptop story would have denied Joe Biden the presidency. It's a bank shot. It is not a direct hit. It's very important that things be a direct hit on the candidate for them to have an effect. Uh, Biden, it, it's 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 a public airing of it, and 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 even the minor suppression of it by mainstream media, which would have happened in any case, even if they had accepted that it was real, they wouldn't have treated it as a massive story because they, they, they did want Biden to be elected and they did want Trump to lose. And so they wouldn't have, you know, they wouldn't have thrown all their resources at it uh, to, to, to prove or to follow up on, on all of its charges. And that's just the way things are. I still believe that uh, it's a bank shot. It's an attack on Hunter, not on Joe. And that Joe's role in Hunter's, you know, troubled life and, 
I think it's uh, a little more than a bank shot. I do. I agree that it's not a full direct hit, but it's it's like a well, it's a bank shot in the it's sense. It's a twofer. That- I mean, because the 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 email in question was the one where Hunter talked about ten percent for the big guy, right? Who was who was allegedly Joe Biden, right? But uh, when I say clearly influence shot, peddling, I mean yeah. The, the, yeah. And well, again, and this, like, like okay, so well, the just, problem here is it's also it also has to go goes at I'm sorry to say goes at who he's running against because if you're going to go at Biden on the grounds that you know that 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 his 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 kids are doing you know sleazy and weird things in his name and all of that, it, you know it would be better were his rival not somebody whose you know daughter was his chief White House aide and whose son-in-law was raising money, you know, uh, in the, you know, in sort of in, in money markets while he was with his brother, while he was serving as a key White House advisor. So, you know, I'm just saying like, you know, it's not like- And those are what was, ifs. That- was Mitt, I know, but it's not like he was, that Trump was, Mitt, you know, I don't know, Mitt Romney or like, you know, it's a clean for Gene person. And so there you had this sleazebag biden you know crime family uh you know arising out of nowhere like that does that does matter and i but i mean the point that i want to make is the lack of trust and faith and the the loathing of the american people that was represented by this entire line of argument from 2016 onward that they had been duped and controlled and manipulated by the russians who were who were, you know, who were playing us like like marionettes and playing them like marionettes. And so wise Solons at the top of news businesses and industries and social media had to step in to save this country from this, you know, Fu Manchu, Machiavelli, Svengali power to cloud men's minds and get them to vote for for Donald Trump and the lack of faith that people have to say, okay, it's August, uh, October 18th. There's like three weeks till the election. This story drops. Can they take in this information along with other information about Trump and then make a rational and deliberate decision about who they're going to vote for for president? That's what you're supposed to expect in a democracy. You are not supposed to put your thumb on the scale in the way that they put their thumb on the scale, not only is it a violation of elementary journalistic ethics to say that you believe something without evidence to have been a fabrication and therefore to, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's the term I'm thinking of? Prima facie, deny people access to to that information. Definitely agree. There's a whole lot of condescension in the notion here that these amateurish Facebook memes turned America's you know, transformed America into this, you know, a, a bunch of gerbils just, you know, following, following Putin, playing to Putin's tune or what have you. But let's say there's good faith on the part of the people who tried to suppress this information, because after all, the experts were saying this is a classic Russian disinformation campaign. People like former director of national intelligence, Jim Clapper, saying this is a this is has all the harm hallmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. No, it didn't. At no point did it ever look like a Russian disinformation campaign, because we know what a Russian disinformation campaign looks like. It looks like Hillary Clinton wrestling, uh, arm wrestling with the devil in a Facebook meme, whatever that stupid stuff was. That's a Russian disinformation campaign. Right. It's silly. It's nonsense. So if okay, James Clapper he- can't recognize what a, what a Russian disinformation campaign looks like, he's the director of national intelligence under Barack Obama. He should be drummed out of public life. Yeah, How many people he's lying. Are- yeah, because Jim Clapper was lying. And those those people who put out that document saying that it was a it was likely a Russian fabrication were lying. And I'm, that, I'm willing possibly, to say possibly, this and, I'm just, and, and I'm, risk I'm a-, a lawsuit. Now, let me finish my point here. Okay. They put out a statement, the purpose of which was to support without evidence or knowledge or anything to prove that it was true, that a story published by a newspaper featuring documents from a computer that existed, no one denied that the computer existed. We didn't really understand its provenance. We didn't understand how it got to Rudy. We didn't understand how it got to the post. And we didn't understand why the guy who ran the computer store was being so shifty and weird. But what was there was inarguably the case. And people issued a statement, prominent Americans using their history of public service and, and, and like, you know, positions in the intelligence community 
to say that this was a piece of disinformation. That was a lie. They did not know it to be true. In fact, they had every reason to believe that it was not true. But what they wanted was Joe Biden to be elected. And what they believe and what is the ultimate reason for the entire hysterical way in which the left and liberals acted during the Trump administration, they believed that America was under unique and unprecedented threat and risk from Trump and the presidency. And therefore, all and, and Trump took the gloves off and did whatever he had to do. And therefore, you had to take the gloves off. You had to do whatever it was you had to do. And if that meant issuing a statement saying that an, a, an uncomfortable news story was an act of disinformation deserving of suppression, deserving of interdiction on the part of platforms that simply transmit stories from one reader to another, that's like, I mean, this is how far this went. It's okay, quite possible this- they were motivated by the belief that if Donald Trump was reelected, Vladimir Putin would have a free hand in Europe. But this is also, but, but, but oh, to this, God save us. But this is the point, though, is that if that were, if this is true, if that's why they did that, and I think you can encompass both, both Noah saying maybe some people truly believed it, that's why they put their name on the statement, and, and as well as your point, which I also agree with that people probably just blatantly lied because they wanted Biden elected. Trump is not the president now. The mistake is revealed now. Biden is in office. The New York Times went back and is stealth editing all these claims that these were unsubstantiated reports about the laptop, they're stealth editing. They should, by journalistic ethics standards, put an editor's note on every single story that repeated the lie. They're not doing that. They're going back and quietly removing it, quietly erasing it. And there's no justification for doing that now, unless they're very concerned about democratic prospects in upcoming elections, and in particular about Joe Biden. Uh, I mean, I think we, you, you can hear the heat in our voices. And I, I just speak as somebody who is uh, not only I've worked at the New York Post, as I say, on and off since 1993, um, uh, its treatment was indefensible, indefensible. The behavior of mainstream media outlets in suppressing the fifth most visited news site on the Internet out of, out, of, out of a hysterical fear that the American people could not make up their own minds about the information, including, by the way, if you want to retail the story, including that the information that they're getting might be disinformation. You know what happened in 2016? And this is, I think, one of the things that happened was when the Steele dossier was being retailed privately to news organizations in September and October, News organizations took one look at it and said, we're not going near this with a 10-foot pole. It's unsubstantiated. It's, it's full of salacious and, and shocking details that don't really entirely conform with what we know about Donald Trump, like that he likes um, you know, unsanitary sexual practices when he's a germaphobe and that kind of thing. Um, uh, and they didn't, they didn't do it. They, let it. they let it lie. And then they came to believe that most of it was true because of the uh, sort of, uh, what, what do you call it, kind of like pot, mob posse effect that happened once the special prosecutor was named and once, you know, Kobe was fired and all that, all that stuff happened. And, you know, you had everything about the dossier was it was a form of this. The dossier is a form of disinformation. It's not state sponsored disinformation. It's something else, but it was a form of disinformation. It was designed to be, uh, you know, a, a, a dirty pile of crap that would be sent out into the world to haunt people as a late hit and deny Donald Trump a possible presidential victory. And that didn't happen. And this time a story comes out that is credible about Hunter Biden. And some weird balance comes into effect. This is, uh, this is my sort of, I don't know, you call this Jungian, like collective unconscious of the media. It's like, we didn't let people read the Steele dossier and Trump got elected. We are not going to let people read about the Hunter Biden uh, laptop because that's fair. Like Trump got a free hit. Trump got a free, Trump got a free pass in 2016. We're going to let Biden have this one in 2020. It's only fair. It's only fair. Um, and also Trump is a unique danger and our democracy is finished if he wins a second term. 
Um, well, and they're not they're not being the only person who pushed Jen Psaki on the Jen Psaki, who also tweeted that it was Russian disinfo, the, the Hunter laptop. Story well, she tweeted it, that the she, that the that the former that experts say, yeah, said experts, that, yeah. the experts say she spread the the disinformation. She yeah. uh, she was asked about this by Philip Wegman yesterday and she just punts that they're not going to address it. You know, he asked, does Biden stand by? Do you guys stand by this story? You know, this claim that this was uh in the suppression of the story, they're just not going to deal with it and they're not going to be pressed on it. Well, they may be pressed on it because Hunter Biden may get indicted. Well, Hunter he just Biden borrowed a million under... bucks to pay his overdue tax bill from whom. I don't, we why not why does sure. he need a million bucks? Didn't he just he was... sell his art? I thought he sold his art for hundreds of thousands of dollars of painting. Maybe that's what he owes taxes to on. Mysterious <laughs> buyers. Um, no, but I mean, you know, th- this story came out because of, uh, apparently the investigation into him is very serious. And and if he gets indicted for influence peddling and the influence that he's peddling is his name and the sitting president of the United States is the influence that he's peddling, he can't, they can't punt it. I mean, they can. He can also just say he's not going to run again, by the way. You know? I mean, I suppose Republicans win the Senate in 2023, the House in 2023, they can initiate impeachment proceedings uh you know with a credible charge against uh you know a, a credible a criminal case against hunter biden for influence peddling that maybe somehow implicates his father in the in the indictment we don't know but uh you know uh, this story isn't over they can they can they can run away from it at the moment um i i was struck by one interesting thing mentioned in your post which is um the uh I wrote a piece uh, published in the Post uh, just after Zelensky's uh, speech on Wednesday, in which I said I said he had importuned Biden to be the leader of the world, and you know that he had shown what it was to be a leader in a way. It was not particularly negative toward Biden. It was more about what what Zelensky was doing and what he was up to. And I get thirty emails in an hour, almost like it was an organized campaign, uh, saying. You hate Biden and you just they're paying you off. Who's why is was Trump paying you? And, you know, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just saying that about Zelensky because you want to trash Biden. And, you know, you're a hack and, you know, blah, you know, you're just trying to get Trump elected. So it's like I didn't respond to these things. But I was interested by this because there and and it's also like you're un-American because you're you're criticizing Biden while we're in a war and 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 you know that's anti-American of you or something like that and I was I was I was struck by this because of the extreme defensive nature and I I would only mention it because there were there was like a whole string of them the extremely defensive nature there is an idea abroad that because a war started in Ukraine that uh, there now should be a rally around the flag effect in the United States around Biden. And I'm sorry, that's not how it works. We have a rally around the fact that we're attacked and we have to rally. We're rallying for another country. Biden's policies and how he handles that are very much up for debate about whether or not what we're doing is going to help or hurt and how we're doing it and if we're doing enough and what, what we're doing and all of that. He doesn't get a pass because there's a world crisis in which America is mostly an observer at the moment with some, you know, with some passive roles of resupply and all of that. This has to be an open discussion about where we are. There was a fantastic moment in Congress yesterday where uh, Representative Mike Gallagher facing a uh, Defense Department official who is supervising the creation of the national defense strategy said very proudly that she believed that the policy of integrated deterrence was uh, was working when it came to uh, uh, what was going on in Ukraine. And, and Gallagher, he said, what you're effectively saying is your entire theory of deterrence requires a country to get invaded and pillaged to galvanize the West into action. So they have a policy called integrated deterrence, which is basically like, whatever we do is deterrence. And you know what else is deterrence? If we, you know, if we if we adopt woke policies in the Defense Department that, you know, privilege uh, minority, you know, whatever, what we, you know, if we we do, we take up these new policies it's like infrastructure, right? Right. Military right, deterrence. Right. Yeah. So everything is deterrent. So 
So Gallagher sort of walked her into this rhetorical trap where she praised her administration for the successful application of deterrence in Ukraine. Now, you said that's what you're seeing now. Yeah, that's what. Now, granted, she's in a tough position because she's testifying before Congress talking about the national defense strategy. And she's asked a question, what's she going to do? Say, no, it failed. So we have to revisit things. I mean, but she literally sort of, he said, is this what you mean? This is, things are going well. And then he said, oh, great. You know, so it is, I just think it's an interesting thing, the extreme defensiveness uh, of the, of the Biden and Biden's uh, palace court. And then the people who want Biden to succeed who are now saying, just like they said, and you know, you're not allowed to say that about Joe Biden. You can't say that his speeches are bad because he had he, you know, he stuttered when he was 10. You can't say this and you can't say you can't ask him this. Yeah, he's a what? He's a little tired. He's 79, but you can't say he's 79. Don't you be saying he's 79? That's ageism. And you're like, what? And you know, Trump has orange hair. And what do you want to get Trump elected? And you're just pay, being paid by Trump. It's sort of an interesting thing. All they have left is the idea that there is something illegitimate about saying anything negative about Biden, which is a pretty low standard since basically six out of 10 people in this country have a negative opinion of Biden and his and his and the goings on of his administration. Sorry for that intense and insane monologue. Anybody want to want to take up the? Let me rest my vocal cords here. Yeah, the say final something word nice about say something nice about somebody. He, I hope he has a nice a, a beach weekend again this weekend. Off he goes to Delaware this afternoon, probably to return Monday mid morning as he generally does. I know this sounds. I, I harp on this because it's just every weekend. And if this were, you know, Trump playing but it golf, was Trump. I mean, he was gone a lot, too. And I don't I mean, I know that presidents can do their jobs no matter where they are. But but there is a a kind of unique uh, disaffection that that seems to be telegraphed by Biden's constant rush back to the beach house at every possible opportunity that I think isn't great for sort of public opinion of him. If he's wondering why people aren't sure he's in charge of things, it's because he keeps, you know, spending every weekend at the beach house. I don't even understand, like. I think I said this before, but, you know, he spent like 80 years trying to get into the White House. And now at every opportunity, he tries to get the hell out of the White House. Don't you want to live in the White House? Like, this is like, was it just to just to just to have the presidential seal in front of you that you did? Like, the conspiracy theory is that there aren't visitor logs to the beach house. That's the conspiracy theory about why he likes the beach house. Oh, that's good. That's good. So got, <laughs> I'm not endorsing this theory. You got Chinese businessmen. You got that guy, Tony, whose name I can't remember. Uh, the uh, the anyway, um, nobody can stake out the beach the beach house. Like, what are they going to come in be a submarine from the Atlantic? I don't understand uh-huh. how they can't miss. You know who's driving in the driveway? I don't know. Where's the where's the press pen? Yeah, see, visitors' logs to the White House tell a really interesting story. Historians love love them because they're they're pieces of a puzzle that you can put together after the fact when something erupts later. You can sort of go back in time and see, oh, well, this person happened to be there the first week of the administration. I don't know. It's just curious. I I don't, like I said, it's it's the sort of paranoid version of why he goes to the beach house. There are more paranoid stories that people float, but I just think he should be at the White House more and more of a public presence during times of crises. So look, you know, um, you're talking about workplace habits and practices, and that's why uh, Bambi has uh, decided to advertise on the commentary podcast to talk to you about your small business practices, particularly HR. And those HR issues can kill you with their wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and those HR manager salaries aren't cheap. Average of $70,000 a year. So Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E was created specifically for small business to give you a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance, all for just $99 a month. A dedicated HR manager available by phone, email, or real-time chat from onboarding to terminations. Bambi customizes your policies to fit your business and helps you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month, and that's month-to-month, no hidden fees. Cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash commentary right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash commentary. Spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash commentary. And 
while you are enjoying your existence without all those annoying HR issues haunting you, you might be doing so in the comfort of your ex chair. Most people just never look forward to sitting in their office chair, but you look forward to sitting in your ex chair because it can give you a massage while you're working. It can heat you up when you're too cold or heat or cool you down when you're too hot with that LMX massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed and made for X chair. And I'm not even going to tell you how comfortable you're going to feel from the customized support of, of X chairs patented dynamic variable lumbar on your lower back. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. These are all the reasons to love the X chair. So try the X chair yourself risk-free for 30 days. This week only, X chair is holding a special anniversary sale. So go to xchair.com, excuse me, go to xchaircommentary.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, commentary.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for special anniversary sale pricing. X chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month, xchaircommentary.com. Uh, so we just uh, we just mentioned this New York Times um, story sort of validating 17 months later the New York Post uh, revelation of Hunter Biden's laptop. Uh, two other interesting things in the New York Times today. That was yesterday. One is a, a genuinely jaw-dropping editorial about the threat to free speech posed though it's very much a both sidesism effort to say that the threat comes from Republicans who are passing, don't say gay laws and stuff like that. It's mostly aimed at the Times' own audience and at progressivism and at camp efforts to stifle speech on campus and to frighten people, uh, shame people into not speaking their minds uh, at work and elsewhere uh, using a poll that the Times uh, uh, editorial page. I think first time I've ever seen this uh, took a poll of its own to 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 measure attitudes of, of of the American people, and it says there is a huge risk to free speech. And as I say, it's largely from progressives um, who who have uh, who have entertained the idea that making people accountable for their words is one way to remedy past ills and evils, but that a society like ours cannot live without people feeling that they have the right and the space and the freedom to speak their minds freely, particularly if they're saying things that are uncomfortable for other people to hear. It's a very long piece. It's a, it's, it's intended to be a major statement. I mean, it's the longest editorial they've published in many years with this poll attached to it. And I'm, 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 I'm still trying to sort of assimilate its existence because of course the times fired its previous editorial page editor James Bennett for the evil of publishing Tom Cotton saying that we should send the military out to uh, deal with um, the criminality and lawlessness of the riots following Black Lives Matter, uh, George Floyd, and, and all of that. Uh, Barry Weiss was driven to resign, and James Bennett was fired for the for the evil of publishing a piece that supposedly made Times Times' own staffers feel unsafe, and now what is it, two years later, they are publishing an editorial that they could have published the day after that meeting where they, where James Bennett got attacked that basically said to their own staff, you shut the hell up with your garbage nonsense about feeling unsafe. This is a newspaper. We publish opinions. We publish provocative opinions. We publish opinions of which we do not agree. And if you don't like it, go find some other place to work you asinine total, mini totalitarian cultural revolution, you know, shitheads. But they waited two why years. I, I, you know, I read the editorial and it's one of those things where I, I don't, I, I should be heartened, <clears throat> but I'm annoyed. And yeah. I, I, that maybe that's wrong of me because the idea here, and this is what I try to practice in the current political moment is to welcome anyone who's now, who's on board with, anti wokeness i mean with with anti wokeness and 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 who's against the 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 suppressive forces out there but it's also the tone of the thing it was so new york times issue it's like so there's going to be a series of upcoming articles to discuss the threats against free speech and what we should do about them i don't need instruction from you no one needs instruction from you on what to do about you know allowing free speech to flourish you let it flourish you're the place with the internal Slack chats, 
where everyone's saying I'm 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 hurt by this, I'm triggered by that, I'm uh, I'm I, I feel, feel unsafe. I'm, I'm unsafe. I'm made unsafe by speech. You go take lessons. Don't give them to me. Yeah, teach your staff before you start teaching everybody else. <clears throat> like, who are you teaching? You're going to teach the great unwashed out there. Who, by the by, by by the by the definitions or the numbers that they show in this poll, are perfectly aware of the threats to free speech. They're living with it every day. It's Mara Gay and everybody else at the New York Times whining and vetching and moaning about how there are things published that hurt her little feels. But isn't that how this should be understood as an internal memo? Because that's who the audience is for this sort of thing. It very gently nudges them in the direction of acknowledging the speech policing on the left while doing a lot to harp on the right banning books, um, which is itself um, misinformation. It's just simply not true. We're talking about this little tiny town in, in Tennessee changing its curriculum and not putting something on a syllabus is not banning something. Um, so they can't even make the point without very gently and carefully and cautiously priming the people they're trying to talk to that this is not just about you, this is an everybody problem, but it is really your problem. Well, I was struck by, they. of course, they. I, I think that's probably right because if you look at the, the things they tended to focus on with, with the results of that survey, one of the things that they spent a lot, lot of time breaking things out by race. And one of the interesting findings of their own survey was that uh, their black respondents actually were the most likely to say they hadn't felt like their speech was suppressed. Like they felt like they could say whatever they wanted, although they were also concerned in general. Right. So that was interesting to me. And in the fact that like, if they didn't talk about any other races, you know, they didn't talk about what white people thought about it. They didn't talk about, you know, what Asians thought about it. It was just, by the way, black people don't feel like their, their speech is being suppressed. So and I, that plus the fact that they had to frequently have these little uh, parentheticals that said, of course, the right's been doing this much worse for much longer, but we, can, we don't want to become like them. And they're still doing these terrible things. And they said this so-called, you know, they called it the don't say gay bill in Florida. That's the word gay doesn't appear in that bill. That's been debunked. So they, they do, they have all of these very cautious um, nods to the, to the continuing often false uh, fears of their own uh, tribe. But it is still important that they, that they took progressives to task. I think John's right about that. They could I have done it a also, lot more forcefully. <laughs> it's also notable that they take on the, the left's gaslighting in this sense, which is that they say, they literally say that there is an argument abroad that there is no such thing as cancel culture and that cancel culture is a, is a, is a delusion. And that is not true. There is cancel culture and everybody knows there's cancel culture. Of course, there's cancel culture on the right also. So if you can recognize that there's cancel culture on the right, they seem to be saying you should also be able to be willing to acknowledge that there's cancel culture on the left. And that that is significant, though annoying, as annoying as Abe finds it, I find it. It is significant because what they're what they're effectively saying is, and I'm sorry, I'm cursing a lot. Just stop with the bullshit already. Don't don't go in front of people and say that the things that are happening every day on college campuses and with Ilya Shapiro and 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 the other day at at the uh, at the Yale Law School where there was a a debate over something or other where 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 students remember Yale Law School students by the way are in their mid twenties they're not they're not eighteen and they're not seventeen they're in their mid twenties and they hissed and disrupted uh, a, a, a a thing until people couldn't couldn't speak anymore or couldn't speak at all. Don't say that's not happening. It's happening. It happens every minute. It's like when Eric Adams tried to say that there there is no real increase in subway crime when you know the, his first week in office when people were being pushed onto railroad tracks every day it's like don't do that don't tell people that what they see with their eyes is not true because you are creating a crisis of credibility and what's more you are you are also creating an atmosphere in which you are proving the case that you're arguing against by saying there's no cancel culture you are in fact contributing and advancing cancel culture because that's all cancel culture wants is for the the idea being that what it does isn't cancel culture it's just normal the normal way that people deal with problematic discourse and therefore there's no cancellation it's just 
accountability. It's accountability, you know, like that. So it's significant. It's annoying. And what's more, it will make absolutely no difference. I mean, who cares what the New York Times editorial page says? I mean, people do like Biden cares, you know, people, uh, you know, liberal, you know, liberal advanced liberal public opinion cares about stuff like that. But it's more of a reflection of some idea that they want to get on the right side of this or they want to they they do not want to be associated with the side of this that led the times to can James Bennett for the crime of publishing Tom Cotton, which, of course, he desperately tried to save his own job by saying, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it was, you know, it was a little Adam Rubenstein over in the corner. Adam Rubenstein, who was, you know, who was Brett Stevens' assistant, you know, and helped work with Barry. It wasn't me, I didn't do it, he did it. He did it over there, that little kid over there came to us from the Weekly Standard, why did we hire him? Oh my God, you know, so, you know, good, good. Let him, let him fester in unemployment for that spinelessness and weakness and cowardice. But he did, but he did get canned by his institution for the crime of publishing something that, you know, that people there didn't like. And they, they, they clearly felt some need to either clean up the record or put some kind of a marker in the ground and say this far, but no farther, which is, which is good, even though they deserve no praise for it. How about that? Let's move on to another New York times thing for which we do have praise and have praised before. And Christine's written a piece about it before it's David, David Leonhardt, the um, essentially the COVID <laughs> columnist uh, who wrote really bad economic stuff for the, for the times for most of the 2010s, like really bad and then sort of became the guy on COVID and, uh, and was uh, turned out to be unbelievably sensible and sort of like straightforward and sensible and looking at data, looking at hard data. And he has a fascinating uh, piece today. Christine, you wanna? Yeah, he, uh, he's come under fire in, in recent months for, for doing just that, doing his job, looking at the data, making kind of reasonable analysis of, of what the risks are and, and, and calling out uh, uh, people and, and areas of the country that are still uh, having harsh mitigation measures when even past the point where the CDC recommended it. But today he looks at a survey and finds that, that um, the most liberal, self-identified liberal people, many of whom are also on the younger part of the age spectrum are the most irrationally fearful about COVID. They're the most likely to think that they're gonna die. They're the most likely to be concerned that children are gonna die. They're the most likely to see things like masking, for example, as a, a permanent condition we should all uh, uh, succumb to because otherwise we'll be unsafe. And he just takes that art, takes that apart piece by piece and shows, you know, yes. And again, he has to do the New York Times nod to, yeah, well, there are crazies on the other side who won't get vaccinated and that's bad too. But I, I really liked that he just kind of hammered home how irrational this, this approach is and how it still has sway as a matter of policymaking in places and in cultural institutions where this particular demographic has power. They have still have it in the media in, in particular, but they also have sway on, in terms of lawmakers, uh, influence on lawmakers. Our, I think it was our friends at the Free Beacon recently went around and tried to see which Democratic uh, congressional offices were open because you know we're all supposed to be open now and and quite a lot of them are still totally shuttered and working entirely remotely which makes them less you know transparent and open to constituents and whatnot so i appreciated that he's he's continuing to try to do his commonsensical notion while acknowledging as he even did in this particular newsletter that people don't like to hear this because they are clinging to their covid fear and clinging to their mitigation strategies long past the point where they're necessary um Okay, I'm going to mention one more thing and be highly controversial if I can. Um, uh, Leah Thomas, the swimmer uh, uh, at uh, the University of Pennsylvania, uh, who is transgender and is swimming uh, as a woman, uh, she as, as, uh, identifies as a woman, is now swimming as a woman, uh, won the NCAA championships in the 500-yard race yesterday. So she is now an NCAA champion. Uh, Leah Thomas. Um, so Leah Thomas has a penis. Uh, Leah Thomas is not fully transitioned. She's taken some hormone therapy. She's done this. She's done that. She wants to be called she. Uh, Leah Thomas still has a penis. So um, and went through male puberty, which is the most important 
thing in terms of ac- uh, athletic performance. Right. But Leah Thomas has a penis and is therefore a male. And that's all there is to it. Like I can call myself anything I want to call myself. Leah Thomas has a penis. And I assume that means she probably also still has testicles. And therefore, uh, Leah Thomas is a male and is swimming as a female um, for political reasons, not for reasons of biology, even transformed biology. And this is a pretty astounding fact. And, and, uh, and has costs, has victims. Can I just say that yeah. people might not know this, but to go on to, to, to further championships and opportunities down the line for professional sports and whatnot, you have to place in the top, I think it's top 16 or top. Yeah. I think you have to place in the top 16. So even if you don't win one of the top spots to, to advance and to continue, you have to be in the top 16. So by taking that number one spot, there was a woman a born female person who has spent her, her college career trying to, to compete as an athlete who was denied the opportunity now to advance because of this. And that is a, that, that person has been unfairly and unjustly victimized by this, this willingness to overlook the huge physiological advantage that this, that Leah Thomas has over everyone else on the team. This is a really huge moment in a way that I don't think anybody who's living through it right now recognizes, but I can, you can see it beginning to break through just the images alone of the of the, the of handing out these trophies these NCAA trophies where you know they have the risers first place second place third place and Leah Thomas is on the first riser obviously and then her her competitors gathered on the third riser second place and third place and ostensibly fourth place and just sort of hugged each other and were proud of each other and were smiling into the camera with a six or seven feet of distance away from Leah Thomas. It is, it is an astounding image, an image that perfectly encapsulates the stakes of this particular fight and gives people license to say that which is real, to say the truth, to, you know, uh, quote Solzhenitsyn, live not by lies, because you're cowed, you're terrified, as the Times has noted, to even say things that are obvious and true and eternal, like, Gender is a binary condition. It does not exist along a spectrum. It cannot be chosen. And it certainly does convey physical attributes that are on display with this towering figure looming over his female competitors. Um, It it really is a a clarifying moment in a way that, that I think is breaking through in a conversation that otherwise had, you couldn't have in public. You know, who gave you permission. the best tweet was Caitlyn Jenner, who was uh, called out by Pink News, said Caitlyn Jenner is launching another disgraceful attack on trans athletes, blah, blah, blah. Caitlyn Jenner tweets, no, I just had the balls to stand up for women and girls in sports. I mean, that is kind of perfect <laughs> because she Can doesn't, I, you know, yeah. she's living as a woman. She's had some transitional surgeries and she's like, this is wrong. And this is a former Olympic athlete. Like, I think there should be a lot of credence given to that opinion because it comes from both sides of the experience. Um, I just finished with a, with a weird personal anecdote here. So when I was 13, I went to a summer camp. I went to a summer camp that was, I really didn't like and couldn't stand being there. And I was homesick. What it doesn't, it was, a, it was, it was a dumpy camp called Enha Road, no longer there in Ellenville, New York. And I had gone cause my friend Jeremy went there and loved it. And so I went, but he was, he was like seven months younger than I was. And so he was in a different bunk. He was in a, he was in a bunk, cabin for, you know, kids who were a year younger. And I was in the cabin for 13 year olds. And so I was homesick and I felt lonely and all this. So at some point they moved me into Jeremy's bunk so that I could have a friend and we could, and I could like enjoy at least have the person that I went with be, you know, in, in proximity to me, you know, during the day. Right. So what the first day that I moved down bunks, and I was tall, uh, uh, as it happens, uh, then I'm, I'm now not of, I'm like five eleven, but I was like almost five eleven then. And then I kind of stalled out. So I was tall and I was, so I was with these 12 year olds. And so I was like, I had taller than most of them and I played basketball, but I was pretty mediocre, uh, except against the 12 year olds where I was suddenly Wilt Chamberlain or Kareem on the court. Like I was going up and down the basketball court, scoring at will, blocking shots, stealing the ball. You know, it was 
for somebody who is, you know, you know, to even call me mediocre uh, when it comes to athletic skills would be, you know, a very kind <laughs> descriptive. I was suddenly like the best basketball player on the court by a factor of two. And so when you go through this, having had that experience, I kind of understand that even though I knew that it wasn't real, right? It wasn't really real because I, this was only an accident of playing with smaller kids. I still love the hell out of it. And, you know, Leah Thomas as a male, uh, maybe would come in sixth, but as a female, not she's even winning. he did. He swam as a male competitively in college for the first couple of years and was like kind of middle of the pack. Was not okay. an outstanding, not in the top. Well, isn't okay. Sixth is isn't sixth like middle of the pack? I don't even know. I don't know how many how many how many people score in a race. Okay, so anyway, but um, but so why would you do it? Why why you know yeah, it wouldn't be real. It's like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You just want to be the, you know, if you can be the best in the grouping that you can go into, and this is why this temptation is much more serious than people realize because people want to, want to get a trophy. They want to get a ribbon. They want to get a medal and maybe they will go to very extreme measures to get them. And it only takes 10 in each spork sport to destroy the sport. It would only take 10 men transitioning to go into the WNBA to turn the WNBA into not the WNBA or the PGA golf tour, where you could then have a man in the PGA golf tour who can drive, you know, man dresses a woman who can drive, you know, the ball a hundred yards further than a woman can on the, you know, from, from the tee or whatever men's tennis, women's tennis, all of that, because people want to win. And it doesn't take that many to both distort the sport and ruin the lives and experiences of the other kids, as Noah and Christine was, was talking about, and the victimization of these kids who, as usual, worked hard and played by the rules and did everything that they were told to do. And then because politics intruded and the idea that we needed to elevate political ideas over individual accomplishment and achievement, they're the ones who get screwed. Um, and it's a terrible thing. Anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. We'll be back on Monday for Abe, Christina, Noam, John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.